Thank you, Mike. Um, well, we continue in our series today called You Asked For It, and these are based on questions that folks have given me or just uh, is, uh, topics that uh, folks have wanted to hear what the scriptures had to say. And so today's question or topic is the return of Christ. Um, before we jump into that, I want to share a picture with you real quick and see if anybody knows who this fellow is, this big guy. Played for the Philadelphia Eagles back in the 80s and the 90s, number 92. Anybody, anybody? Reggie White. Thank you very much. Reggie White was a defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles and a couple of the teams that I won't mention. And uh, Reggie White was known as one of the greatest defensive linemen ever to have played the game. He made 13 consecutive um, Pro Bowls. Um, his jersey was retired by both his college team, which again I won't mention, and also uh, both all the pro teams that he had played for. He was most known, though, not just his professional success, but he was also known for being an ordained Baptist minister, which gave him the nickname a minister, the Minister of Defense. Now, Mike Golick, who was one of his teammates back in the, I guess it was the early, late 80s or so, uh, on the Eagles, told a particular story of Reggie White when he wouldn't allow, because he's an ordained minister and he loved the Lord and he had a deep and abiding faith, he would not allow the coaches or any of the other players to cuss at him. And so that was just totally off limits. Everybody knew that. You don't talk to Reggie White that way. And one day he goes out on the field for a pregame, and uh, they're playing. I don't know who the team was, but there was a young offensive lineman lined up across from Reggie White, and uh, he started to share, share some words at Reggie White, and Reggie White said, don't cuss me. And the guy continued to share more words, and Reggie White said, don't you cuss me. And the guy kept saying this, and Reggie White, he was getting more and more angry until some of the other teammates of his had to restrain Reggie White back over on the sidelines and say, look, man, you can't go at this guy like this. And Reggie White was just fuming. He's not a guy that like, got mad like that, but he was really angry at this young offensive lineman. And so finally, Reggie White walked down the field, and he's walking around the field, and he's saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he walked up to the line. He was standing there at the lines. Everybody's kind of getting ready. He's saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he just keeps going like this. And Mike Golick, who's standing a couple of guys down from him on the defensive line, tells the guy, remember this is pregame, tells the guy across the line, he says, look, I'm not going to come at you on this next play. I just want to see what's going to happen over here. <laughs> and so Reggie White gets down in his stand. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And finally, when, as soon as the, or the quarterback hikes the ball, Reggie White goes across the line, hits the offensive lineman, knocks him clear off of his feet back into the quarterback and gets a sack. And then he's standing over top of the guy, the offensive lineman. He says, I told you, Jesus is coming. <laughs> of course, the young guy didn't have anything to say to Reggie White after that. Well, all humor aside, Jesus is coming. And that's our topic today. Our topic is the return of Christ. Um, today we're going to ask and answer three questions. I'm going to pop these up here on the screen for you. And those are, what is the return of Christ? What are we talking about? Secondly, when is the return of Christ going to happen? And finally, what can we expect the return of Christ to be like? And then we'll hit our fourth question that we always ask each week, which is what difference does all this make to your life and mine? Okay, so that's where we're going today. Our text comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. So let's stand and read together from God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Again, it doesn't matter what the folks have to say around the water cooler. It doesn't matter what the folks have to say as you're driving out in the truck. It doesn't matter what the folks have to say on Facebook. It doesn't matter what kind of church tradition you grew up in. Friends, if any of that disagrees with what is in God's Word, we always go with what God's Word has to say. That's why we stand up every week around here. So let's read together from the authoritative, infallible, and inerrant source of truth in our time. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians beginning at verse 13. 
Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, we're going to walk into these verses, but in just a little bit, remember our format today, though, is to follow these three questions, and then we'll get into these verses here in just a little while. So let's start with our first question, which is, what is the return of Christ? Well, i got a slide for you, and it shows the word eschatology. The word eschatology is a word that refers to the return of when Christ is going to come back. And so it's the theological body of um, information that talks about when Jesus is going to return. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, Jesus ascends on up to heaven, and it reads, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, after Jesus said this, this is 50 days after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he's standing there with his disciples. It says, after Jesus said these things, he was taken up before the disciples' very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus literally floats up into the clouds, and then the clouds hide Jesus from their sight. As the disciples are looking up, it says, verse 10, intently into the skies he was going. Suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Two angels come and stand alongside the disciples. Verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back. So there's the return of Christ, and he's going to come back in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. So when we talk about the return of Christ, we're talking about when Jesus literally returns back to the earth um, a second time. Question number two is, when is this going to happen? Well, I'm going to give you two answers to that. Remember, you got to put your thing caps on this morning. I'm talking a little bit fast. I asked the guys to cut a song out today. I'm going to redeem the time that I didn't use last week because I know I was short preaching last week, so we're going to, we're going to redeem that back today. But in any case, we're going to give, answer that question, when is all this going to happen? Two ways. First of all, I'm going to give you a general answer, and then secondly, I'm going to give you a specific answer about when this is going to happen, okay? I've got a slide for you. I shared this several weeks ago. Um, it's a timeline of human history. And this is the biblical timeline of human history. The Bible puts human history on a timeline that begins, there's a beginning to human history, and it began in the Bible at creation. And then after creation was the fall, you see little C for creation, little F for fall. And then that age, uh, that first age of human history, is what we refer to as the Old Testament age, It's the or the age of the law, the age of the Mosaic law. And the part of the Godhead that was most active here on planet Earth during the first age, during the age of the law, was God the Father. God the Father dwelt, or the word tabernacle in the Hebrew, tabernacled in the midst of his people. God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, literally here on planet Earth. And then there's a second age in human history. There's an overlap between the two. I'll get to that here in a second. But the the second age in human history is what we refer to as the age of the Spirit, or the age of the law. And that's the present age. That's the age that we live in now. That's the New Testament era, or the church era of the church. The second age of of human history is going to come to a close. It will come to an end in an event that we refer to as the end of time. Time will come to a close, and that'll be the end of the second age. There's an overlap between the first age and the second age, between the age of the law or the Old Testament age and the church age or the age of the Spirit. That overlap is when Jesus Christ was here on the earth at 33 years of his life. 
Some would say it extends out to 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. I'll get to that here in just a little bit. Um, but there's this overlap period. So the part of the Godhead that is most active here on planet Earth during the overlap of these two ages is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, there's our word tabernacle, dwelt in the midst of us. The part of the Godhead that's most active now, though, on the planet is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse like 15, I believe it is. Maybe it's verse 19. I can't remember. But it says that, um, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? See, God no longer dwells in brick and mortar building here on the earth in this tabernacle. God no longer dwells in the person of Jesus in bodily form. But now in this age, God dwells in the Holy person of the Holy Spirit here on planet earth and dwells in the midst of those who have turned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, so that's, that's kind of how the Godhead works. We talked about the Trinity a couple weeks ago. That was one of the questions. And then this is one of the things that we used. Now, to answer the question generally, when will Christ return? Christ will return at the end, still looking at that timeline, at the end of that second age. That's when Christ will return. Christ will return when time, when he comes, time as a unit, time as a standard of measurement in which we live and that governs our life. Time will be no more. We will move on into eternity. We will become these eternal, well, we're already eternal beings. We're souls, but um, we'll move on into eternity and heaven. Specifically, though, when will this happen? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. These are the verses that follow what we read just a moment ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 tells us specifically when this return of Christ is going to happen. It reads verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, putting a specific date on the calendar, for when Jesus is going to return and a specific time of day, he says about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Why don't you need to write to us about that? We're curious about that. The Thessalonians wanted to know about that. He says, because, verse 6, for you know, verse 2, I'm sorry, because for you know very well that the day of the Lord's coming will be like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In other words, no one knows specifically when Jesus will return. I, I mean, how many thieves do you know announce that they're coming? Right? Oh, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Y'all get your shotgun ready. Right? Or, or I call the cops and say, hey, I'll be there to rob the bank in 30 minutes. Right? No thief does that. No, they come when no one's awake they come when no one's suspecting it no one knows when they're coming and so he says hey look specifically about when jesus is going to return about times and dates about a specific date on the calendar he says i'm not going to tell you that because no one knows when jesus comes it's going to be like a thief in the night and poof that's the end of it um so generally though when will jesus return uh, he will return at the end of the second age, and this will mark the end of time, the end of human history. Specifically, when will Jesus return? He will return like a thief in the night. You'll never know that he was coming. He'll just all of a sudden appear. Okay, last question, question number three. When the return of Christ does happen, what's it going to be like? What can we expect to happen at the return of Christ? Um. First, let me share with you three areas of agreement amongst biblical scholars, conservatives. I consider myself a hyper-conservative when it comes to biblical, the biblical text as an authoritative source of truth. And so amongst folks like that, uh, there are areas of agreement. And so let me take a look at some of those. And this gets to our passage for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 13. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant 
about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. First of all, that phrase, fall asleep, is a euphemism, and it refers to someone who is dead. It refers to someone who has gone on, someone who has died. We might say that that person has passed away. We might say they've gone on to be with the Lord. This is a very similar phrase that they would have used in Paul's day to refer to someone who has died, that they have fallen asleep. Paul does not literally mean that a person who has died is asleep, that they are unconscious, that they are not aware of what's going on. That's not what Paul is saying. He says over in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, I desire to depart, referring to his own death. He says, I, re- I desire to depart and to go be with Christ. See, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, fully conscious, fully aware. His soul leaves his physical body. It goes on up to heaven or hell, whichever the case may be, depending on the decision a person made here on this earth. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Verse 14. We believe that Christ died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So when Jesus returns, the Bible just said that he will bring with him the souls of those who are in heaven. And not only that, verse 15, according to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, so people who are on the planet here alive when Jesus returns, about those people, he says, um, verse 15, we who are still alive, we who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. See, there are three things here that are going to happen. There's going to be a loud command that the world is going to hear, spoken from the lips of Jesus. There's going to be a loud command also coming from a voice of an archangel following. And then there's going to be the trumpet blast, a trumpet call of God. And then verse 16, the last thing, is that the dead in Christ will rise first. That is when Jesus appears in the sky and then... Lands on planet Earth here in Jerusalem. You can read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 9, and you can read about that. He's going to land on planet Earth here at Jerusalem. And when he comes, he's going to come with him, the souls from heaven. And then he's going to resurrect from the dead those that have died preceding the, the, uh, the return of Christ. And so the graves are going to be popping open, right? The dead that are in the sea, or the sea is going to give up the dead that are in them. And you say, well, how is Jesus going to reconstitute all those bodies? How is he going to find all those parts that have been eating my fish? I don't know. He's God. He can figure that out. But nevertheless, the point is that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, friends. And that the body is going to be like, people say, well, isn't that the zombie apocalypse? No, it's not the zombie apocalypse. It's the resurrection of the dead. It's the return of Christ. And then they'll be reunited with their souls, and they'll meet Jesus in the sky. And then the scripture went to say, after that happens, verse 17, after that, the believers who are alive at the time watching all this happen will be caught up together with them. See, their souls are still united to their physical bodies. They'll be caught up into the sky after that resurrection of the dead to meet Jesus. To meet Jesus. That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to that. You looking forward to that? Amen? End of verse 17, it says, So we will be with the Lord forever. And then Paul says, verse 18, Encourage each other with these words. You say, Gordon, I've heard that there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be locusts with heads of demons on them, and they're going to be flying around and driving people crazy, and there's going to be all this stuff about seven years, maybe it's a thousand years. I've heard all this kind of stuff. I mean, what do we do about all that? When's all that supposed to happen? Well, that's where the disagreement begins. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, we'll take a look at. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple. Now, this is the first century when this is all taking place. 
Um, Jesus, this is Thursday. He's going to be on the cross on Friday morning. And he leaves the temple. He's just had the last of his stumper questions that came at him from some of the doctors of the law, some of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They've been peppering Jesus with questions to see if they could find any fault in him, and they couldn't because he was born to die as our Passover lamb. He was perfect. And so they've been peppering him with questions all day, and so at the end of the day, he leaves the temple. It says, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1, and the Bible says, as he was walking away, his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the temple's buildings. Verse 2, he responds, do you see all these things pointing? This is Jesus in the first century. Do you see all these things? He's pointing to a temple right there. He's looking at it. I think we got a picture of it. We can show you what that might look like. That temple right there that you see in the picture is of the Wailing Wall. In 70 AD, the Romans came and literally wiped the slate clean of what used to be there, the old temple. And all that remains today is a retaining wall. And it's referred to as the Wailing Wall. Uh, what is on top of it now that you see is the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim holy site. The Muslims, this is what they do. They come into holy places and they put a mosque on it to say, we've conquered you. And that's exactly what's happened there. And so all that remains of that temple complex that Jesus was looking at is that retaining wall. A similar to you might have some railroad ties that hold back some dirt, right? And so that's what you got. Jesus says, do you see all these things pointing to the actual temple that still stood at the time? He says, the temple complex, um, I he says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And when is that going to happen? Well, Jesus tells us when that's going to happen. Just a little bit later in the chapter, in verse 34, Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, he says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He says, this generation. Now, a generation, according to Jewish people, is 40 years. So in 40 years, he says. I tell you the truth, in 40 years, this generation will not pass away before the things which I have spoken about will take place. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7, you know, what are the things that are going to take place? Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7, it says, well, this is just all part of this narrative. He says, there will come a time when nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. Not one stone will be left on another. The abomination that causes desolation, moving into verse 15 there. And Jesus says, this generation, the one that I'm talking about right now, in 40 years from the sound of my voice, friends, in 40 years, this generation will not pass away before the things which I've spoken about will happen. <clears throat> and sure enough, 40 years to the day, here come the Roman legions led by Titus. Got a picture of that for you. Somebody painted a picture many, 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 many years ago. Classic work of art that depicts the destruction of Jerusalem. You can see Titus standing out there on the precipice of the cliff, directing the Roman legions against the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is completely up in a blaze. They've made their way through the city wall. The Jewish people put their last stand inside of the temple complex itself. The temple complex goes down. Uh, Titus and some of his soldiers go in there and make a sacrifice to Jupiter, the abomination that, that, that causes desolation, and the temple is desecrated, and they completely wipe all of those rocks off of that foundation. Not one stone will be left on another. Completely fulfilled. Jesus' words are completely fulfilled exactly in the time frame that Jesus said that it would be fulfilled. It's very clear what temple Jesus is talking about. Okay? Now, here's where the problem lies. Go back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. I know y'all putting your thinking caps on this morning. I hope you're still hanging with me. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us. I know you're not going to tell everybody else, but I mean, we're, we're your boys, we're your guys, right? We've been, we've been going with you. Tell us, right? Tell us when this will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. There's the key phrase, the end of the age. When's this going to happen, Jesus? Now go back to our timeline real quick. How many ages are there in human history according to the scriptures? There's two. See, here's what happens. Here's where the confusion lies. A lot of people go into these passages of Scripture like Matthew chapter 24, which are clearly talking about the temple that Jesus was looking about and looking at in his day and that everything he said was going to happen happened in that temple in Matthew chapter 24. But here's what a lot of people do. When they sit down with the Scriptures and they read that phrase, the end of the age, they think that we're talking about the end of time. They conflate the end of the first age with the end of the second age. Can you see how that could happen? And so what happens is some folks pick up their Bible, they read the end of the age, they conflate these issues, they confuse the two issues, and they take the end of the age, of the first age, to mean the end of the second age with the end of time. Let me say again that there are some really good people who have conflated these issues. Uh, Some really good people who have lumped together discussions about the end of the age in passages like Matthew chapter 24 with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is about the end of time. And clearly, Matthew chapter 24, given the context of the passage, Jesus is talking about the temple that's right there in front of him that he just walked out of. And now he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. He's looking across the Kidron Valley. He's looking up at the temple complex itself as he's sitting there talking to his disciples and sharing with them all this information in Matthew chapter 24. And everything that Jesus said was going to happen, happened exactly in the time frame he said. So all the talk of earthquakes, all the talk of false prophets that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24... All of that in Matthew chapter 24 happened already in 70 A.D., just as Jesus said it was going to happen. You say, Gordon, then how do I know when the Bible is talking about the end of the age of the law, the first age, and when the Bible is talking about the end of the second age, the end of time? How How do I know which is the case? Well, that's the right question. That's the that's the million dollar question, right? Understanding that sometimes the Bible is talking about the end of the age of the law versus the end of the age of the spirit, the church age, which will mark the end of time. How do we know which age we're talking about? The answer is very simple. What did the Bible say is going to happen at the end of time, at the end of the second age, the church age? What did the Bible say? We just read it there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Dead people, friends, are going to come back to life at the return of Christ. Not just a few, but all of those who, have, who are believers in Christ. Friends, if the discussion about the end of the age does not include, and you're reading a particular passage of Scripture, if the discussion about the end of the age does not include or at least mention the resurrection of the dead, That's a good litmus test that you're talking about the end of the first age, the end age of the the law. So we can't conflate the two endings. Yet that's what an awful lot of scholarship has done. That's why an awful lot of scholarship continues to pitch ideas about when the end of the age, when the end of time is going to take place, and they keep coming up empty. Time 
after time after time. Despite the fact that the Bible says quite clearly, there's no knowing. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Um, you say, okay, Gordon, that's all really good. I understand at least your presentation of what you're saying. However, I've watched some people on TV. I've read some books. I've done some seminar or whatever. And there's people out there who are smart, and they don't agree with you. And they're devout, good Christian folks. And, and, and I'm not even sure I agree with some of what you're sharing here this morning. You know what? No problem. You say, no problem. Yeah, no problem. You know why it's no problem? Because this is not a salvation issue. When Jesus returns, what exactly is going to happen when he returns? You're not going to lose your salvation. Here's what's going to happen. John Hagee, he disagrees with me. John MacArthur, he disagrees with me. I love listening to those guys. David Jeremiah, great preacher. He disagrees with me. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. Jerusalem, dead souls. Maybe I'm still alive at the time. And John Hagee, on his way up, is going to be floating up. He's going to say, I told you so, Gordon. <laughs> or maybe I'll say, hey, I told you so, John. Right? But it's not a salvation issue. And so it's not something that is a problem. But what we all agree on is what Reggie White said. And that is that Jesus is coming. Okay. That's what I had for you for today. That's our talk, treatment of this subject matter. Everybody okay? Breathe. Breathe. Not a salvation issue. Breathe. <clears throat> That's my treatment of the subject for today. And so that brings us to a really important question, which is, well, what difference does any of this make? Say if it's not a salvation issue over when Jesus is going to return and over some of the events that are going to take place when he returns, what we can expect, the locusts, you know, with, with de demon faces and stuff. I mean, if, any of that's, if it's just interesting to talk about but not a salvation issue for you, I mean, what difference does any of this make to me? Well, that's a really great question. Let's talk about that. Flip back over in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul is writing there after he's talked about the resurrection of the dead. The Thessalonians want to know, when's this going to happen? When's it going to happen? Paul writes to them, now, brothers, about times and dates, putting a specific date on the calendar and a time on the day when that's going to happen. He says, we do not need to write to you. Why do we not need to write to you? Why not give you a date on the calendar? Because, verse 2, for you know very well that the day of the Lord... All these people are going to be resurrected. We just talked about it. Will come like a thief in the night. Friends, there will be no warning. The return of Christ will happen. It can happen before this church service ends. It can happen any moment. And so my question to you this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know for certainty that if Jesus were to return today, that you'd meet him in the air. Do you know that for sure? Are you ready? You say, well, Gordon, I mean, I got like 30 or 60 more years of life left to live, and he hadn't returned in 2000 so years, so I'm kind of figuring it'll maybe go on for a little bit longer. Well, if you think about that, that's a pretty risky game to play, to fumble around about where you're going to spend eternity. Perhaps you know that if you do give your life to Christ, if you do ask for his forgiveness, that that means some things need to change in the way that you're living and some of the decisions that you made. And you would be right. Jesus calls us to repentance. It means not only do we put our faith and trust in him, that we begin to live in a different way. And so, 
that's something for you to think about. That in the twinkling of an eye, like the onset of labor pains, like a thief in the night, Jesus is going to return, friends. Are you ready? When I was eight years old, I was presented with this material, with the return of Christ. And be quite honest with you, at eight years of age, it scared me. And the reason it scared me is because I knew 